Welcome to Agile Clips. In this episode, we talk about people that bring Agile practices to teams, and due to limited knowledge or the wrong motivation, make things worse. We discuss how to identify these people, which leads to a discussion about agility and how to recognize when the team is truly Agile. Hi Santos. Hi Andrew. How are you? Hey. Hey guys. Hey. Good, good how are you guys? It's been a while. Nice. Yeah. Uh, happy New Year to you guys. <laughs> oh, it's been that long. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yes. Well, Happy New Year to you, and Happy New Year to anybody listening to us. <laughs> in, in as February <laughs> begins. <laughs> Love it. And Happy Valentine's Day in that case as well. There. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we had uh, discussed beforehand uh, this topic of people who well-intentioned and have some experience of agile and try and bring it to an organization but they don't really know what they're doing and it's very counterproductive usually an example that i came across very recently with two folks in the organization where i work and there are, we have pockets of agile but it's not widely used and uh, we had we have a program manager who joined recently and his superior, who also joined recently, and they've both used uh, Scrum in other organizations. So they've come in guns blazing, trying to introduce at least some aspects of Scrum, but really doing a poor job of it in a way that's just been really bad for the organization. So one example was introducing Scrum to a DevOps team that really is fighting fires a lot of the time and whose work is not predictable and for whom Kanban would have been a much better choice. Mm -hmm. And then another example is just um, getting the team to do a retrospective, which absolutely support, but it was done so poorly. Uh, Team members were asked to provide some input, but then after a couple of minutes, it was the program manager just talking for the next hour, practically speaking about issues and so on. So People know about the the different events or ceremonies, but they really don't know how to apply them and how to really get the team to to benefit and participate more. Anyway, that, those experiences made me think of this topic. And then as we discussed it, I heard that, Santosh, you also have uh, come across some of these agile imposters recently. <laughs> uh, yeah, and in a couple of my previous clients that I was there, uh, I think what, as, as you were mentioning earlier, you know, they they came in as uh, scrum masters and then they were uh, crowned as agile coaches. Oh. So all of a sudden, yes. uh, they uh, had this uh, big sword in their hand of agile coaching. And they were, whatever they had as a uh, you know, experience or limited knowledge, they started building that against uh, uh, coaching. And then somebody, I think, had told them that, oh, coaches should be observers. But they were just observing. For six months, they just observed. <laughs> no, no, no. They could, the teams were like, does the Sphinx speak anytime or no? <laughs> and, you know, it was like, uh, basically, they were pretty scared how to give the advice because they had limited exposure 
but you know the, since they were in, in the process for like you know 5 10 years they didn't realize what it scale up means go to the next yeah. level and then they started giving the the advice or giving their advising their opinions that's when people realize how oh, there is the something else under that sheep skin <laughs> and and we think like you know the the organization started getting hurt and agile started getting the bad name out of all this so then we had to actually go in and uh, start cleaning up and that's what we were doing in my last last two assignments uh that and then i think the, the other challenge that we saw was that once somebody has been trained or given that direction it's very uh, difficult to make them unlearn some bad habits yeah and uh, so i think the imposters can uh, be you know very uh, self serving from that point of view but then uh, yeah. the, the the effect lingers long long time yeah and so that you know spotting that sooner and uh, rectifying that sooner is is i think it's very key yeah yeah I totally that's agree painful, that's the that's the concern that it just gives agile a bad name when in fact it's not yep. really agile no it's got nothing to do with it absolutely uh, it's funny i was i was saying how i didn't feel qualified to speak about this really as a gag on uh, imposter syndrome which is a different thing Imposter syndrome is that experience that you feel permanently like you're underqualified and you're about to get caught out. Hmm. And um that's a dysfunction that I've seen oh in so many corporate situations and I think it's a result of uh, an education and a uh, employment hierarchy that's based on qualification. You know, you work very hard to get your degree and your degree implies that you now know everything. um particularly if you get a good one and you're employed to know what you're doing and the next thing you know you're actually in a workplace where everything's brand spanking new and you're working on stuff that nobody's worked on before and you got a boss that's giving you grief for not being able to give a good estimate what do you mean you're supposed to know what you're doing can't why can't you give me an estimate and it just leads to this awful awful feeling that people have that they are imposters And that's a little different from what you're describing which is really it's kind of a combination of the Dunning-Kruger effect where uh, if you don't know that you're you don't know what you're doing you tend to have great confidence and if you are a very skilled expert you're much more likely to be cautious and hedge what you're up to but it's also a function of the Peter principle that uh, again in in most corporate life being promoted is a big deal but man- managing to maintain status is so important that even if you get promoted into a role that you're not competent at and may then slip into the imposter syndrome I was describing who's ever going to ask to be demoted especially hmm. if they're not even aware that what they're up to is actually a bad version of something that was supposed to be working they i i i get how people like that can actually genuinely believe they're doing the right thing and be terrified by the fact that it's not producing the outcomes they thought it was supposed to produce 
But what's going to happen if they acknowledge that? If they acknowledge it, they'll be in trouble and, you know, it's a horrible trap to be in. I really get it. And I think I think that's the biggest challenge. I mean, that's what the mm. imposter syndrome really exemplifies. That is, people mm-hmm. are not ready to accept the failure. Yes. And, the, yes. And, and, and I think it really takes a different uh, mindset to oh. think about uh, failure is part of this learning, and we are moving and and you know accepting and declaring yes we fail. It is so, um, you know, when, when the first time I remember, I, you know, me and my colleagues, we, were, we really went there and then what we were trying to accomplish did not. And we said, oh, you know, this this experiment failed. We need to pivot. And these are the pivots we are going to use. Mm-hmm. People were like, don't admit that. Like, no, we want to admit that. Mm-hmm. That's, and I think the... EVP at that time said, "You guys are the bravest people that I've ever seen. I am. I am. I'm more ready to trust in you than anybody else here." Yeah, so I think that's, that's the interpersonal and you know, organizational um, like environment creating that that yeah. sense. Well, doesn't that just speak so badly of the unintentional consequences of? Um, the ways of thinking that have led to most organizations being organized the way they are, where people just, because of this belief that they're supposed to know what they're doing, an Mm. admission of failure isn't an acknowledgement that they're getting negative data. It feels like it's a failure of self for which they'll be judged and probably fired and sanctioned. Um, This is why the first big breakthrough moment in my career in this stuff was when I was first taught Agile as a Scrum Master. And it was like, oh my God, you can actually do this. I got it. The second one was when I was taught um, Kinevin, the Kinevin sense-making framework, and how that helps to distinguish the difference between domains that are ordered where you can know what you're doing and expertise Mm -hmm. is applicable as opposed to domains which are complex, which means that they are emergent, that the constraints on them are a bit slippery. And it means that the only way you can really move out of complex domains, if you want to do so, which is what most businesses are trying to do, they're trying to go from complex situations to something that they can predict and monetize, right? The, The safe way to do that is by using multiple preferably parallel safe to fail experiments safe to fail so if you have mm-hmm. a culture that that sanctions failure as somehow meaning that if you failed at something you are a lesser mortal and should not be amongst the gods that walk in this building um of course you're going to get up to some damn fool behavior to try and stay out of trouble Sorry, I get a little bit animated about this, as you can probably hear. But I have so much empathy for people around this because it's just a function of being creatures that evolved to only be good at at, at really an environment where you're surrounded by the same relatively small number of people the whole time, so you can completely trust 
what they are saying to you because they've been in that environment the same as you forever hunter-gatherer lifestyle Mm-hmm. and that change is cyclical and so is kind of predictable that change is daily or with the cycle of the moon or the cycle of the sun we're all right with that and we've developed some other mechanisms for dealing with things that show up unexpectedly we've got the threat response to you know be on the safe side to make sure that we try and survive situations but you know smart creatures that us humans are we went and civilized ourselves to the point that we live in right now where we're not working with the same people who are passing on institutional knowledge that is generations deep we've if you're more likely to be somewhere where people are thinking out to the next quarter you're not around uh, a cyclical environment you know the environment changes the whole time that awful expression VUCA is a good indicator of just what the world has turned into now if you know all of that then you can start to appreciate why something like agile understood and applied well is so clever because it is a way of going well let's do the least possible highest value thing that we can right away and find out if we're right and if we're not well no harm done or at least a little harm done and we'll try something else as opposed to oh my god we put two years into this spent 20 million bucks and it's a failure well we better sack everybody straight away and save face no i was just going to go back to the original point which is how if you have an organization where there are people who uh, think they know something and maybe there's nobody around them that knows better to be able to correct the behaviors so just how how do you detect this kind of problem and you know how do you rectify it yeah i i was just going to say about the same uh thing that you know when you see people confidently marketing themselves as somebody that uh, they they are not or they and nobody else around them knows about it and you know somebody uh, has gone to some conference or read some book and say, ah, we should do this. Or, yeah. you know, McKinsey might have come in and say, you should do Azure. That's why you need to be this way. And then yeah. and the order uh, decree comes down. <laughs> but I think that's where I'm seeing that, you know, sometimes the commitment is made at the highest level or somewhere there. And then people have just to fall in line. So the previous you know, project-minded people get into with the new labels all of a sudden, mm-hmm. and they start saying, "Yeah, that's what we used to do." And uh, one of the things that they they started seeing is that, oh, our previous coach did not say these things. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, well, what was it that they were telling you to do? Because I'm seeing. And especially the place that I was working before, they were looking for some checklists. Mm-hmm. I'm like, uh, you need another PIMBOK? So, yeah. <laughs> so there is a project manager's book of knowledge, kind of. You want to have a, yes. another agile box or something? And, yeah. you know, that's where really Cinefant's uh, principle, Kenevin. when I, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah Cinefant, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. always make. But anyway, oh, no, so sorry. what I was trying to do was, uh, started 
looking at some of the constraints they were saying oh we can't do this it's so i know there are so complications and there are so constraints here so the people who were non agilists trying to do it they wanted to stay in those constraints mm-hmm. so that because they knew how how that works yeah so they were trying to fit agile into that and that's why we could say oh wait a minute so then i i started asking them as like you know even the constraints are two type of constraints one is a process constraint and there is the one is an environment constraint and we could start looking at it from agile perspective how to handle it anything anything that is complicated can be automated mm-hmm. anything is complex you mm-hmm. can uh, experiment and figure out and that gets evolved so that was a completely different concept and like that's what the true agility basis the things around yeah. and they're like oh, nobody taught us that and i'm like hmm, well that's no. the <laughs> yeah. so it's it's often presented as a process shift that's a panacea for everything um yeah process is involved but typically what actually needs to shift underneath it's really it's a cultural thing right which is another way of saying environmental and you've got to mm-hmm. come at that a little bit sideways you might you might come at it through process you can use process as like the gateway drug to this stuff but you're right that if you have people who are uh, consciously or not very invested in their qualifications and their previous knowledge it really takes something to um have them not feel invalidated by being offered something that's different it, it's it's terribly easy when you show somebody something new to you it's exciting to them what they've just heard is that they've just been told that they're doing it wrong and they've invested way too much to actually acknowledge that there's any possibility of that god damn it i'm not wrong who you calling wrong well i, I know that's it. another thing uh, you know what, what i was just looking at as to what are the signs that mm-hmm. this person is or this group is uh, having that imposter syndrome when i start looking at you know those uh, anti patterns start emerging yeah and that starts telling you that oh somebody is not really understanding what the intention of this whole uh, agility is and they are just looking at it from a uh series of steps that has to be conducted yeah. and you know those are the kinds of things i'm seeing that tells you okay what, now what do you here think is the very first clue you know you you walk in and and meet a new team or something what i i know what gives me the first clue but i'm curious to hear from you guys what's the first thing that has you go ooh this isn't going so well I think there are several things one could be uh like there's no backlog <laughs> so some of the <laughs> fundamentals are missing and nobody pointed it out and so that that could be one way of looking at it um I think just observing the team dynamics if people are not sort of happy and passionate about what they're doing that's also a sign that they're not doing it right mm-hmm. one of the other things yeah one of the other things uh i always look for is uh 
incremental or working product. Yeah. Does your product work at every cadence, you know, incrementally? And what does that mean to you? So it, it all comes down to that as to um, how often and how complete you are able to deliver the product, increments of products. Mm. So they, if, if that is not working, then whatever the process that is going on behind the scenes and principles and all that, if really, you know, there is no value being generated. Well, that's very true. I, I think the first sign that I, I look for, and Steve hinted at it, is the mood. That if um, you're dealing with people who are clearly not happy or who are scared and suppressing things, or who have no awareness of why their work is useful or important or beneficial. That to me is like the very first clue that things aren't going well. If you talk to people and they go, oh yeah, I know why we're doing what we're doing. I'm, I don't even need them to actually be that passionate. But if they're turning up and doing good work and know why, it's like, oh, okay, that's, yeah, you know what kind of contribution you're making. So you're much more likely to contribute to it and to not do work that doesn't contribute to it. Whereas people in the other states are probably putting more energy into surviving and getting through their days. And a symptom of that, Santosh is exactly what you're saying, that there's, there's not useful working tested product showing up that's of, you know, that's of any value to anybody. It's like, exactly. Right, you know, the the, yeah. the financial value shows up right at the end. That's you know, it's used early, but it comes back late. So you've got and, you know, the other thing. Other things, you yeah. Know. Other, other sign is uh, I generally ask. I'll start with the leadership, and ask them as to what does agile agility mean to you. Yeah. And their answers can tell you exactly what's happening down in the next layers down below. Because yes. if they say, oh, if we give them our view and everything and they run the Agile and they deliver. Like, aha, mm -hmm. now you know where where the, the changes have to be. And that's, as you said, you know, the culture, that's yeah. where it starts. Yeah. One of my friend, really, Chris Sims, he had mm. made a suggestion that, you know, if you start working with the leadership and ask them to be agile in the sense you actually do their work, their jobs in agile manner, then it becomes uh, like they can actually say, instead of do as we say, they can say do as we do. And that's where a lot of these messages and then people just giving the lip service and all that starts you know. So going side uh, completely gets weeded out because yes. now you are making a good and a very strong statement that yes. it's not just the commitment doesn't mean that yeah you will fund your agility actually uh, we are doing things that's so true because if it just comes down as a mandate from above that immediately causes stupid behavior it has people again in a situation like that well we better otherwise we'll be in trouble 
But it also means people are able to do it going, well, pff, it wasn't my idea, it was his idea. If it all goes horribly wrong, it's nothing yeah. to do with me. The, there's much less investment. Whereas if, as you say, the management is actually leading by example, mm -hmm. much easier then to be like, well, it works for us, guys. Why, you know, why don't you give it a shot? We'll support you. Make exactly. it an invitation, you know, I mean... Making it into an invitation has become yet another of the thoughtless formulae that you hear across, hear about, you know. But like like anything like that, at some point it was absolutely right. It was absolutely true that if you invite people to do things, particularly when the invitation also lets them see what might be possible for them, where there might be new opportunities for them to take action that would be of benefit to them and others much more likely that that'll work out well than just telling people yeah. what to do, right? And then, you know, it creates a pull instead yes. of something being pushed down their throat. So now people are more interested. It's like, hey, if our bosses are doing it, there must be a value around that. I better get on to that and really yes. get to know what this is. So that's yes. a, you know, push-pull kind of thing. And then uh, the, the root cause of this imposter syndrome, that gets... You know, then people yeah, can away. be open. Yes. Yeah, and basically yes. there is no incentive to be imposter then. Yes, imposter syndrome kicks in when people cannot say, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> right? When exactly. it actually becomes something where people can go, ah, oh, I don't know. Does anybody know? Can we find out? Exactly. That, I mean, exactly. I, once again, I find myself tempted to say, well, there you go. That's agility in a nutshell. Yeah, and I think we we had talked about this before. Is that you know how does this, how do you know whether people are really agile mindset or not? It's like at any level, at uh, you know the team level or at the mid managers or leadership level, if you can see that people ask for help, mm -hmm. and instead of because offering help is very easy, asking for help is you you feel safe around there and you can feel vulnerable and still say that nobody's going to put a knife in your back. Yes. And that's we, we, the culture. Yeah, absolutely. There's your imposter syndrome in a nutshell. That if you can't risk looking like this imagined failure, you can't even dare ask for help. Exactly. Right? So you're right. It's a very... it's. It's a good symptom, and it's something which, if you can reward people for asking for help, and even better, give them some help. Mm -hmm. That's you st again. You're starting to. That's a kind of a cultural shift. And all I mean by culture is how do we do things around here? Well, we do things around here by encouraging people to acknowledge that if they're doing something they've never done before, they probably don't know how to do it. So they're going to have to figure it out, and they'll probably do that best if they do it collaboratively with others mm -hmm. asking them for help giving help scratching their heads right, that's that's things. the you know collective yeah. ownership so yeah. that everyone feels that everyone has their back so that they yes. can they don't feel threatened by going into uncharted territories yes and you can't push collective ownership if you if you try and tell everybody they now own it the chances are they're going to yeah. be going uh oh i'm in trouble yeah, But if you can go, we actually think that we're going to do something which is going to be massively appreciated by our customers, by
by our shareholders, by our neighbours, by our suppliers. We think this is something that is really, really worth doing. So what's the least that we can do to figure out if we're right or not and get that done right away? Who's going to help me with that? That's when yep. you're more likely to have people go, oh, I'll give that a shot. That's all right. There's your collective ownership. Exactly. Exactly. Right? And I, I think totally the other different. thing is then innovation starts. You know, yeah. people are encouraged to do the innovation. And I yes. think that's the other aspect of imposter side of things is people don't want to innovate them because they are trying to push everything under the rug so that there is no chance of taking any chance or you know, going out of their comfort yeah. zone. Yeah. I've even seen uh, great agile thinking turn into uh, non-innovation because the we don't know, let's find out led to people actually understanding that what they thought they were going to do wasn't going to help. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of good. It was, you know, that, that assumption that, you know, all innovation is good innovation. They challenged it. It's like, well, why do we think this is a good idea? Let's... What's the least we can do to find out if we're right? You know, right? And then and you know, that's yeah. the you know, are we able to even imagine pivoting? Yeah, I think that's the whole idea. Is that how are we going to find out whether this really works or it doesn't, and then we can move to yeah. the uh, different direction. Also, when people actually started um, thinking about how to manage the failures mm -hmm. and in a more mm -hmm. positive direction as to well, failure is a learning and that's a data point into the, our path that mm -hmm. oh if you put the you know your hand on the hot stove it burns yeah. that's the kind of yeah. so i think and that who, is and where who did that who did that? Yeah. You did that. Are you willing to be responsible for the fact that you just burnt your hand? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of response. You're right. That kind of responsibility. I mean, it's one of the, the scary things about being in such a fast moving world. The thing about anything that's complex is the only thing you can be certain of is that something unforeseeable will happen. Correct. So that's why you want to do the safe to fail experiments and monitor them over time because there'll be unforeseeable things. I mean, look at dear old Facebook. Back in the early days, that was the shining future. They founded it with this wonderful vision of how it would bring the world together, what kind of change there would be. And now look at it. And <laughs> there is apparently very little willingness to be responsible for the harm that it's called, caused. That's reckless innovation, long-term reckless innovation. And I think it's part of, I'm, I'm liking very much seeing that it's like there's a second wave within the Agile movement of people going, oh, you know what? It's not just about getting to market quickly. It's not just about pivoting. It's also about tracking this. Exactly. Are we doing something that's responsible? Short-term thinking, very painful. Mm -hmm thinking out mm -hmm. into just the next quarter. I'm hearing more and more people talking about seventh generation thinking, which is fantastic. You know, uh, how will we be thought of seven generations from now? Interesting. Which for, uh, it's fantastic, isn't it? I mean, you know, yeah. most, most finance departments in most big 
businesses would have their heads burst at the very thought of it. You know, if we don't, if we don't meet <laughs> yeah. market expectation at the end of Q1, we're all in trouble. Well, exactly. yes, but you've accidentally left this trail of, well, I mean, the worst of it is things like the climate crisis, you know. So we started with uh, team dysfunctions due to one person. Then we went on to agile culture. <laughs> yeah. and all these topics. But I was actually uh, reminded as we were thinking about uh, how do you recognize that there's a problem? Yeah. It reminded me of our very first podcast, episode number one, where we talked about Henrik Nyberg's scrum checklist. Yeah. And it does, you know, looking at it, it does offer as the bottom line delivering working tested software every four weeks or less, delivering yeah. what the business <laughs> needs most, yep. and processes continuously improving. Those are the key elements. Yes. Yeah. Which we yeah. kind yes. of touched on in various ways. So, what, what, I, what uh, gives me that goosebumps is that, you know, in so many ways, it it manifests itself into those principles. And every time you just go down there, it's like, oh, if we would have just looked at it, it's like, oh, instead of doing this huge documentation, just get a feedback. Talk to them directly. It could have saved so many millions of dollars or so many different blood, sweat, and tears. It's just that simple. And yeah. people just completely lose the sight of it. You know, it's funny that you mention Henrik Nyberg, who I've long massively admired. I mean, his um, product management in a nutshell is still a great place to start almost any Agile training. It's just fantastic. But um, it's also perfect bringing him up right now when Spotify are catching it in the neck for having revealed themselves as only really being in it for the money. <laughs> and um, Henrik no longer works for them. He left them some time ago. He works for Mojang now, who are the people behind Minecraft. He's actually one of the Minecraft developers. And when you look at Minecraft's incredible success and the enormous following, I am, you know, I'm in the the gaming industry. I have to say, I I see that as being the kind of shift that I applaud. Someone actually much more interested in contributing to a global cultural shift of people being able to really add to the quality of their life um, which you you know playing a game like minecraft absolutely does it's extraordinary fantastic game as opposed to working for a company that nominally is there to support music but when you ask almost any musician how much money they make out of spotify it's a pittance and that this whole Farago just recently has made it abundantly clear that Spotify is yet another company that used Agile in service not of the general good, but of their investors' good, which is a very mm -hmm. harsh opinion. I get it, and I get that you guys may not share that opinion. It's not necessarily, it's my opinion, it's not this podcast's opinion. But I, like I say, it's it's another example of you have to be really careful. This Agile's a tool, and it can be used to cause great harm as well as to cause great good. At the very least, it can cause a lot of good in terms of making people's working lives beneficial, better than tolerable, actually rewarding and fulfilling. 
but I'm, I'm very eager to encourage all Agilists to think about the much wider implications of the companies that they work for. You know, I mean, Santos, you were saying that your employers have been cleaning up their act and they are clearly proud to do so and you're proud to work for them. Yeah, let's have some more of that, please. That would be good. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Right. And I think that's where the, the true cultural shift starts happening. Yes, it is. And, I, and I re it's, it saddens me when I hear the stories of people who are operating in such a way that they end up being revealed and labeled as imposters because they were probably doing the best they could. But what a terrible thing that, as you were saying, Steve, how do you how do you detect that? How do you detect that well-meaning people are actually doing something that is possibly not beneficial? Mm hmm. So I think that's that's a good fundamental question. I've I learned, alas, probably too late in my career, that one of the first things you have to ask people is how will you know if you're employed to, you know, the CEO wants to go agile, so they get the agile coaches in, deploy the coaches. It's an IT thing, isn't it? Something to do with Dave. It's still really important to be able to go, well, how will you know that that's a benefit to you? How will you mm -hmm. know in the short term and the medium term and the long term? what will be different because i've often found that when you get down to asking those questions questions you get a blank look oh i just thought agile was supposed to get us to market quicker right mm. well you know you're funny you should mention this because i i think there was a broadcast of one of the meetups i had there was this postcard from the future mm -hmm. if you start asking the the question to the leadership saying what would you? What would your postcard in next year would look like? Mm. And that tells you where their head is, mm -hmm. and what the, the the real problem or real vision that they are looking for. Sometimes it doesn't get articulated to the next level down, mm. or even further down, and or or it gets lost in translation. So people do, as you were saying, and do their best to their abilities. Yeah, and that's where all the smoking mirrors and things like yes. that start. Yes, yes, and it's well, it's always tempting to put it down to malice and conspiracy. I think it's much more normal for it to be a case of uh, a lack of awareness or lack of competence that actually tends to lead to dysfunction. And well, I think the other other part that we were going to talk about was that you know how do you start fixing it? And it, it almost like you might have to go to those people and say, "What's stopping you from doing the right thing?" Well, you know, I I'd be very careful asking that because I it's funny as you said it, I was like, "Oh, if you ask somebody what's stopping you from doing the right thing, are they going to go?" Hmm, I'll take that question seriously. Or are they going to go, sod off? What do you mean not doing the right thing? Of course I'm trying to do the right thing. How dare you? And you've lost connection, you know. Uh, I think uh, the key uh, is to care about people. You know, to go, look, what, what is it you're trying to accomplish here? What, what, what really matters to you? Because I'm noticing that it looks like you're not happy and you're not getting what really matters to you. Let's, let's find out a bit more about that. Because if you can make that kind of connection, you might find people actually starting to, to open up to you. Because otherwise they're going to tell you what they think you want to hear or they're going to well, kill you off and just 
you know, dismiss you. That's my that's been my experience. And you're right. You know, you need to be yeah. a little more articulate about how to ask that question. Yeah, and but the bottom line is what a long day. I yeah. get that we sometimes default to the slightly less elegant way of putting things. I get that. Yeah, but I think the crux of it is is you know, get to the bottom of why they are not or what what why are they doing what they are doing. Yes, and that uh, that can lead to a lot more. Uh, you know, like five whys kind of uh, uh, you know, deeper understanding of yeah. where that is coming from. Yeah. Well, I mean, the on-the-surface behavior that somebody exhibits is one thing. What's going through their mind while they're doing it is another thing. And why those things would be going through their mind is a third thing. And unless you're operating at the very minimum with some kind of awareness or at least radar looking for all three of those, you're probably not going to be operating on anything that will actually make a difference. And that's where coming at it as a process problem is at best relatable to people who believe it's all about process, but ultimately won't make the difference that unless you get into that whole what's motivating people and why would they have that motivation that's that's why this coaching thing is difficult that's why somebody that's done a two-day scrum master program knows a little bit about process but they are not a coach mm, i mean exactly. you know all of us have been exactly. paying attention to this for many years i know other coaches who are still training who are their work is a damn sight closer to psychotherapy than it is to process management you know definitely funny you should mention this <laughs> it's, it's, it's really one of the clients i was you are doing psychoanalysis of my team yeah. i'm like exactly i didn't even yeah. know that i was doing it but i said you know what that is what is really required to understand what is the psyche of your team to be able to get the best out of them yeah and, and when I was talking to Jeff Sutherland, uh, somebody asked mm -hmm. him, like, so what is this agile thing? Can you tell us? Like, he said, nothing but how people should work together. Yes. You know, that's, that's the bottom line. Yes. You, know, you can put all the other tools around it, which is fine. Yes. But it's actually how we get people to work together. Yes. In a most uh, productive way. Yeah. I, I'm going to quote that introductory line of the manifesto again. I can't help myself. We are uncovering better ways of developing software by doing it and helping others do it. We, it's, like, yeah. it's collaborative. Yeah, we, R, it's in the present all the time. Uncovering, it's there to be uncovered if you just know how to have situational awareness and pay close attention. Better, well, how do you, how do you know it's better? It's never going to be best. How do you know it's better? Measured how and for whom? Better ways? What are the ways? I don't know. You might have to uncover them. Somebody else might have uncovered them, but let's have a look. In this situation, what are the ways? And it's not actually about just developing software. I mean, the original signatories acknowledged that very quickly after they wrote it. It's about working. It's almost about living. We're uncovering exactly. better ways of working by doing it, right? By actually Lovely. being the practitioners and helping others do it, which goes back to the whole collaborative thing. 
And that thing that actually the best way to get whatever you want out of life is to help other people get what they want out of life, right? Yeah. I love that first line. And when you when you actually do, you know, the next line is, through this work, we have come to value blah, 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 blah. Well, if you don't do that work, if you don't do the work of collaboratively uncovering better ways and helping others, those values are meaningless, those principles are meaningless. They're just things that you learn and nod along to and go, oh, yes, well, we'll be good if we stick to those. We'll be bad if we don't. You haven't got under it. You can't, you're not generating what's actually at the core of creating good stuff in the world, right? Yep. Yeah. So oh, oh, God, I've been up and down on my soapbox all evening tonight, haven't I? Gosh. <laughs> I think that would be a great place to end the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So it well, was, uh, I think, uh, an interesting topic. Um, yes. We went all over the place in a good way and sort of came back to some fundamentals. So thank you for yes. uh, being here and having the discussion and best yeah, wishes to all our listeners. Hope you enjoyed it. If there's anybody yes. out there that thinks that they are an imposter and they're suffering from imposter syndrome, well, just make sure you're doing it properly. That's my advice to you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks, everybody. Okay. Good night. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.